I can't tell you how good it is to be back in the pulpit this morning. I will tell you that it is good for the congregation, for the preacher to be gone occasionally, uh, for you to be able to get to hear men of very great talent and ability. It's also good for the preacher to sit in the pew. And uh, there are some things that I learned over this last week. I learned that the sermon is longer sitting in the pew than it is standing in the pulpit. I learned that regardless how scriptural and sound of the sermon you preach, unless it is preached with passion, it does not connect with the hearers. A third thing that I learned was is that some people can be rude with God. Last Sunday evening, I was sitting approximately two-thirds of the way back in the auditorium, and a lady, elderly lady sitting in front of me, uh, when the preacher got up to preach, pulled out her smartphone, and I thought, boy, that's impressive. She's an elderly lady, and she's going to be able to follow along with her Bible on her phone. And then I noticed she started texting. And uh, then she put it in her purse, and I thought, okay, maybe it was her children who had come for Mother's Day, and they'd made it back home and said, now we're home okay. Then about a minute and a half later, she picked it up again and texted. And then about a minute and a half later, texted. And uh, I will tell you, she disrupted my ability to concentrate on the sermon that was being preached And I don't know if she got anything out of the lesson. Let me say this. I think it's wonderful that the Lord has provided us with a lot of technology in our age. Uh, Many of you have tablets that you read your Bible on. Some of you use your smartphones. Be sure you're using them for the good purpose of studying God's Word together and not for something that will distract or to cause someone to lose their concentration on the study of God's Word. This morning, we're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, in my judgment, is one of those great books that the Apostle Paul wrote by the direction of the Holy Spirit that has some wonderful directions in it, some great encouragement in it for those of us who are Christians, who are members of the Lord's Church, a part of His body Two weeks ago, our previous lesson looked at the blessings that are found in verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This lesson is going to pick up where those verses left off. This lesson is going to consider the provisions that God made for those blessings. There is so much to appreciate about what God has accomplished through Christ and His church. And so this lesson is going to look at what God has provided. There will be very simply three points in our lesson this morning. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8 and look at redemption that has been provided for us. Verses 9 and 10, we'll look at the revelation of this. And then verses 11 and 12, we'll look at the reception of an inheritance. 
Let's begin, first of all, with verses 7 and 8. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at them. I'm going to have it on the screen. But there's so much. In fact, as we will go through this, you'll probably want to have the text in front of you as we consider it. In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. There are several key words within these two verses. In fact, my initial preparation for today's lesson was only to look at verses 7 and 8. But let me just take a little bit of time, if you will permit me, to look at some of the key thoughts in these two verses. In him. Going back to chapter 1 and verse 3, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Here he says, in Him. He's going to use in Him again in verse 12. He is going to talk about where these things are located And when you ask the question, what does it mean to be in him? It means to be in his body in the church. So many people today want to say, give me Jesus. I want to worship Jesus as Lord, but I don't want to be a part of a church. I don't want to be a part of an organized body. Let me tell you something. You cannot please God unless you are in Him. And unless you are in the church, you are not in Him. Look with me at verses 22 and 23. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The church is his body. To be in him is to be in his body. And that is where the blessings are located. The second thing, in him we have redemption. Now this is a very powerful word. It has a lofty concept going back to the Old Testament. The idea of redeeming something in the Old Testament would mean that someone could redeem a piece of property. It would mean that a person could redeem someone who had been sold into slavery. Neither one of those things are issues which we have present in our society. The best thing that I can compare it to that most of us would grasp and understand is that of a ransom. Imagine someone's child is stolen away from them, kidnapped. And then those who had kidnapped them send a message and say, if you want to see your child alive again, you will pay us $1 million. The parents of that child would be more than willing, if necessary, to pay the ransom price. That's what the word is, to ransom, to buy back liberty. That child was those parents by right of birth, but someone is stolen away. So they pay the second time. That's what the ransom is. Jesus is our Redeemer. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. 
redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child forever I am. When we think about redemption in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, one thought that just floods my mind is found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Paul's focus has been on the future. What will it be like when this life is over? He says, I do not believe that the sufferings of this life are worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. Paul has his mind focused on the future. And in Romans 8 and verse 23, he says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. And then he explains it. The redemption of the body. The body to which he refers here is eternity. You know what happens to each of us? Our old body wears out. I dare say some of you have a lot more aches and pains this morning than you did five years ago, ten years ago, and certainly twenty years ago. And as you suffer through this, your view of this body begins to change. You begin to desire that home or that habitation which is from heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning with verse 50. Now this I say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. There will be a new body and... Paul has in his mind here redemption and its fulfillment is when we get to leave this old body being bought back again by God. And then as you continue on, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. That is the means of payment. That's what it cost. In Hebrews 9 verse 22 we read, and according to the law, almost all things are purified by blood or with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. When you start thinking about what it cost to buy you back, it cost the blood of Christ. That blood that was poured out at Calvary. His blood was that payment that was made for us. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 5, Isaiah records, But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Peter picks up on that. In 1 Peter 2.24 when he says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I have to understand that the blood that Jesus shed was for me. It was for you. 
that resulted in the forgiveness of sins. And really that helps explain redemption because the word forgiveness means release or liberty. The idea of something being set free. Here's a child who's been kidnapped. The ransom has been paid. The child has been set free. You and I are freed from our sins by His blood. Our sins are the violation of God's law and the resulting debt from that. When I sin, I owe God a debt. And you have to look at it like this. You remember when Jesus taught His apostles to pray? He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Romans 6 and verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. And we read also in 1 John 3, 4, the King James reading, Whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. I sin, but when I violate God's law, I have a debt, and, I owe it. and Jesus' blood paid the ransom price to forgive my sins to set me free from them according to the riches of His grace. Riches here in this passage is a unique word. It comes from the word which means fullness or abundance. Sometimes when we use the word rich, we're talking about the possessions that a man has. We're talking about money. But there are times when the word rich does not have a connotation of money. For instance, the church at Smyrna, he said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Revelation chapter 2. Have you ever eaten a piece of pie or a, uh, some dessert and say, wow, that's rich? You're not talking about it in the sense of money. Here he's talking about the abundance of, the fullness of God's grace. It is by God's riches that one is able to have redemption and no one else is able to afford it. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I couldn't die for you. If I were to die for you, it would not be a sufficient payment because I'm not a perfect sacrifice. I have blemishes in my life. I have spots in my life. Nor could anyone else in this world die for you. No one else has that power, that ability, that wealth, if you will. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ according to the riches of His grace. Then you look at verse 8. They abounded. I many times will compare a number of different translations and the New American Standard, along with several others, uses the word lavished here. He says, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. 
The idea is as if God not only gave us a good gift, God went over the top, gave us more than we could ever deserve. He lavished on us so much. It's difficult for us to appreciate it. It's hard for man to appreciate how much has been given for our redemption. Let me move quickly now to verses 9 and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him made known to us the mystery. You will hear me say several times as I preach through the book of Ephesians, the mention of the mystery. The mystery in the Bible is something which has been concealed, not been told, but has now been revealed. That's what a mystery is. According to Paul in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, this was done by revelation. Listen, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. As I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery. Paul said, God has revealed to me the mystery. I wrote about it, and you read it, and now you understand the mystery. When you and I read books like the book of Ephesians, and we read that word about the mystery, we understand this is something that God has concealed but now revealed to us. This is something that everybody was supposed to see. Chapter 3, verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. I'm supposed to preach this. This is what God wants announced to everybody. This is what the mystery is all about. It involved Christ and the church. Chapter 5, verse 32, The mystery is great, or great is the mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is important stuff, folks. This is what God wants known. And as I go through, it says, His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. It was God's plan from the very beginning of time. It's the way He wanted. He drew pleasure out of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God. Or if you're reading the American Standard, it was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God revealed his mind to his apostles and prophets. Then there's a phrase that just, as I read through it, I've got to be honest with you, it just didn't really register with me at the beginning. Sometimes when you put too many big words, boys from Alabama have trouble. But this is a really powerful part of this passage. In the dispensation of the fullness of times. 
Whenever we see words like dispensation, what comes to your mind? I tell you what comes to my mind, the old Jewel Miller film strips. Patriarchal dispensation, the Mosaic dispensation, and the Christian dispensation. That's not what this word means at all. In fact, the word is based upon the word for house. It means an administration or a management, like someone would manage a house. So in the management of the fullness of time, you see, God was orchestrating, if you will, all the events that were going through our history, through the history of this world, to bring about this blessing which we have, the provisions that have been made, the fullness of time. It's just like when you've got a glass of water and you fill it up. It's full. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why did Jesus come when He did? Why did He come during the days of the Roman kings? It's because God planned it that way. From the very beginning of time. Does God know when Jesus will return? Most certainly. It's in His plan. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Time's not going to permit me to go in detail, but let me point out to you. He says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time. You see, those Old Testament prophets, they're looking. They're looking forward to the coming of all these things. And they don't know when it's going to take place. God does. That's been a mystery now. The mystery has been revealed. To gather together in one all things in Christ or in heaven in earth. And then he says in him. According to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28, when's all that going to take place? When's everything going to be brought together completely, fully? Now when all things are made subject to him, the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. That's when the great resurrection, the redemption of the body, when it all finds its full fruition. Which brings me to the third part, and that is verses 11 and 12. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him. The location continues to be relevant. Let me just stress this point. In the book of Ephesians, the church of Christ is important. It's essential. If you have been baptized into Christ, Galatians 3 verse 28, if you have become a member of the Lord's kingdom, his body, because the Lord added you, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, you are a privileged person for whom God made great provision. When he says also, 
That indicates the additional something. There's been the redemption. There has been the revelation. Now there's something else also. A privilege of this. Obtained an inheritance. The picture given here is to be adopted as a son. Now let me give you an idea of what it might mean. Let's say, for instance, here's a child in a third world country. They're struggling to have food to eat, clothes to wear, and then here comes along one of these movie stars, and you know this happens, and they walk through and they're going through one of these orphanages and they say, oh, that's such a cute baby, I want to adopt that child. And the government is more than glad to cooperate. And this movie star brings back this child to the United States. Now, does that child have plenty of food to eat? Plenty of clothes to wear? Does it have blessings, physical blessings, that it would never have had in that foreign third world country? Well, most certainly, certainly that child would. That's only talking about the here and now. But now we have to focus on there is an additional inheritance. That's the future. This is something that we can know about. Listen to Ephesians 1 and verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Folks, I can't tell you the blessings that we enjoy here as being Christians in the here and now, but none of it compares with what we shall receive in the inheritance. We're adopted as sons, Ephesians 1 and verse 5, having predestined us unto adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What do we get? Some of you may have already received an inheritance if your mother or your father passed away on this earth. Proverbs 19 verse 14 says, Houses and riches are the inheritance from fathers, for the prudent wife is from the Lord. In Mark 10 and verse 17, there's a young man who comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Eternal life. And then God works all things according to the counsel of His will. He's got a plan for you to inherit. You become one of His children. I want to become one of God's children. I, I, what do I need to do to become one of God's children? That's that very first sermon the Lord began during His personal ministry in John 3. He meets Nicodemus and He said, You must be born again. Nicodemus is thinking worldly, fleshly, physical. How can a man be born a second time and enter his mother's womb? And Jesus makes it clear that a man must be born of the water and of the Spirit. That is to become a child of God. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. He uses us. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, 
make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God wants to adopt each one. God wants to bestow a blessing of inheritance upon everyone. But here's the bottom line. You and I have to cooperate. God will not adopt you unless you say, I want to be your child. We're going to sing this invitation song. And I want you to understand, we're a blessed people. We should appreciate the provisions that it took for us to be a blessed people. And our obedience reflects the love and respect for what has been done for us. I wish that I could beg with you and I could plead with you, for those of you who are not Christians this morning, to make a decision. When we sing this invitation song, there is an encouragement. If you'll come to the front seat up here, we'll let you stand and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then baptize you for the remission of your sins. If you've been putting it off, you don't need to put it off any longer. There's no good reason to say tomorrow will be okay. Today is the day that you need to respond. Would you come as we stand and sing?